James chapter 2, verse 14 tonight. Before we get into the passage tonight, remember we're studying this book and looking at it also, not just about the things that James is teaching us, but reminding ourselves that James was the brother of Jesus. He, he grew up with Jesus, same home with Jesus. God's purpose for us, just like it was with James, is, is shaped by several things. It's shaped by the natural abilities that God gives us. It's shaped by the spiritual gifts that God bestows upon us. And it's also shaped by the experiences that we have in life. And I want you to see tonight that the experience that James had in being the Lord's brother, that one of the things I think rubbed off on James, that made an impact on James, was Jesus was a teacher. Among many other things, Jesus was a master teacher. And Jesus didn't just start teaching during his public ministry. I believe that Jesus taught from the time he was a child. He had that ability to be able to take a subject and teach on it and expound on it and explain on it. I mean, remember even the story in the Gospels of when Jesus was just 12 years old. He was holding his own with the religious leaders in the temple. He was teaching. Later on, it says, no one taught like Jesus. He taught as one who had authority. Jesus was the master teacher. And James spent his childhood and his young adult years watching and hearing Jesus teach. And I think that helped shape James and even determine and define God's purpose in James' life because James became the pastor teacher of the church in Jerusalem, the main church, if you will, in the early church. So he was, the, in a sense, the lead teacher for the early church in Jerusalem. And he learned to teach, I believe, from his own brother, Jesus. In fact, even as you go into the passage tonight, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, what you learn, and we have many teachers here tonight, you see how masterful James was in handling the subjects that he handles through his book, and, and it sort of creates an admiration as a, as a teacher for what James does with the subject. For instance, tonight in verse 14, he states his, his point or his, lays out his principle. Then he gives an illustration of that principle. Then he gives examples of that principle. And then he ends by concluding and restating the principle at the end. It, it's a masterful way to teach, something I've tried to, strive to do, model in my own teaching ministry, learning from how James taught, because I believe James learned from Jesus. The other thing that I think shaped James is the subject he's talking about tonight to us is faith. And obviously, we're talking here about the whole book of James is about learning to value the things that God values. And one of the things that God values clearly is faith. Book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So faith is of great value to God. 
And the other thing is this, and then we'll get into it tonight. James saw his brother Jesus live by faith, and I think that made an impact upon James. That he saw Jesus not just talk about his faith, not just think about his faith, but literally act upon his faith. He lived his faith out. Jesus was continually expressing his confidence, his trust, his belief in his heavenly Father, that he would constantly say, you know, I'm following your will, Lord. I'm here to do your will. And so in his humanity, having laid aside the independent use of his attributes as God, not that he ever ceased to be God, he lived a life of faith, and that made an impact on James. So James wants to talk to us tonight about faith, and he starts out in verse 14, and this whole passage, you could say, from verse 14 through 26, James is talking to us about the character of faith. Again, faith isn't just something we receive, for by grace you are saved through faith, even that faith, it is a gift from God. So faith is something we receive from God, but faith isn't just something we receive, it's something that we respond to, it's something that we are to reveal. Again, as I said before, our time of worship tonight, that faith is to be a declaration and a witness. And everything James is going to say in this passage goes back to those two principles. Faith must be responded to and revealed, not just received. It is a declaration. It is a witness. So James says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Now, again, this passage has caused a lot of angst and controversy over the years because people think that James is contradicting Paul who taught that we are saved by faith alone and not by works, and that somehow James is contradicting that. No, he's not. He's simply saying faith in its essence is an invisible thing. And the only way that you and I can prove that we have faith, that we can give evidence that we have faith, that we can demonstrate our faith is by revealing it, by expressing it, you see. That's what James is talking about here. Now, I want to just stop for a moment, though, and look at the word good. What good is it? That's a very interesting word that James used. It's, it's about getting an advantage. You, you, you and I have heard the term, you know, uh, we want to get an edge. Everybody's looking for an edge on something, right? James is saying, you know what will give you and I the edge to live life, to navigate life? Live by faith. So you want an edge, you want an advantage over others in living and navigating life? He says, live by faith. And instead of just claiming to have faith and just talking faith, he says, live it out loud. Express it in action. Respond to the gift that God is giving us in faith, to the divine revelation that God is giving us. And this isn't the first time James has mentioned this principle. He mentioned it a little bit differently. If you go back to chapter 1, look at verse 22. He says, but be sure you live out the message, that you carry out 
the word of God, that you are a doer of the word and do not merely listen to it and so deceive yourself. So James is just simply saying, guys, we can't just sit on our faith. God gave us faith in order to be acted upon. Again, in order to be responded to, in order to be revealed out into the world to others, to declare who God is and to witness who God is by the way that we live our life. And if you and I live by faith, it gives us an edge. We live life from a preferred position over others. That preferred position being we're trusting God rather than unbelief. So notice, he goes on in verse 20 or verse 14 to say, can this kind of faith save him? He's not talking about initial salvation here. He's talking to people who are already saved. So what does he mean when he says then, can this kind of faith, this quality of faith, a faith that doesn't have works or is not revealed, save him? The word save, besides meaning to enter into a relationship with God and have our sins forgiven, also means to be kept safe and sound. And to even be of sound mind. It is the idea that we trust God to preserve and protect us in all situations, at all times, we're trusting the hand of God to preserve and protect us when we are following him. Because let's face it, there were a lot of times in the Bible, and there are a lot of times throughout history, and there are a lot of times even in our life where God may ask us to do something that in essence may be sort of dangerous. But God says, as long as you are following me, I will preserve you and protect you. I'll give you two examples that you'll probably hear me repeat on Sunday. Daniel in the lion's den and Daniel's friends in the fiery furnace. They put themselves by their faith in a dangerous position, but God said, I'll preserve you. I'll protect you because you trust in me. And you're declaring your faith in me and you're witnessing your faith in me to all those around, especially in that specific situation to King Nebuchadnezzar, the leader of the known world at that time, the king of Babylon. Keep your finger in James chapter 2. I want you to go over to a very great verse, 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's a verse that I think every Christian should, should memorize and should meditate on, should be something that we ponder. It's a verse that Paul shares with us and shares with his young protege Timothy here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18. And this verse illustrates exactly what James is talking about. Can this kind of faith save him? Now, the answer is no, that kind of faith, faith without works cannot. But the opposite then is true that when you and I express our faith, when we reveal our faith, when we live out our faith, no matter what God asks of us, 
God's going to preserve and protect us. It might not look the way we think, though, and I want to clarify some things after what Paul says here, because you've got to look at what Paul said. He says, the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says, God deserves the highest praise for this. But now wait a minute. In following the Lord's will for his life, Paul was martyred. So how can Paul say, the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom? Well, let's look at the word deliver. What does it mean? It means, first of all, that God will grab a hold of us. It means that once he grabs a hold of us, he will tighten his grip around us, literally, if you will, wrapping his arms around us and drawing us into himself, and then he will carry us to safety. He will literally bring us through great peril, as Paul goes on to say, bringing us and preserving us to his heavenly kingdom. So that doesn't contradict Paul's martyrdom. Paul simply saying, God delivered me, even as a martyr. God grabbed a hold of me. He wrapped his arms around me and drew me into him. And he carried me all the way into his heavenly kingdom. And nothing that it was of greatest value or worth, I didn't lose anything, Paul says. That whatever, in a sense, I lost down here following the Lord's will was nothing. That, that everything that truly mattered, God made sure I got there. You follow me? That's what this verse means. That's what this verse means. I love the fact, and, and those of you that have served in the armed forces of our country, you can especially then appreciate this. I can only appreciate this from a distance. But these words, deliver and bring me safely, were used in Bible times to describe a fellow soldier who saw another soldier wounded on the battlefield, left their position went over to their fellow soldier, grabbed them on the battlefield, carried them off the battlefield to safety. That's what Paul's saying. That's what God will do. That if you and I just trust God and follow him wherever he is leading us, that he's not necessarily going to prevent something from happening to us as far as, you know, physically, temporally, earthly, but that's not the most important thing. Because Paul was following the Lord's will and became a martyr, just like many people down through history. And even Daniel's friends said to Nebuchadnezzar, we will not bow to your idol because we believe that God can deliver us in that furnace you're about to throw us into. But remember what they added to that? Even if our God does not deliver us, we're not going to bow, because God was just going to scoop them up out of that furnace and take them to glory. And that's what Paul's saying here. 
whatever you and I go through, we can be saved if we express our faith in God that no matter what we're going through, even a fiery furnace experience of some kind, that God's going to grab a hold of us, that he's going to pull us even closer to his heart and to his chest, and that he's going to carry us safe to safety, even if it means carrying us right from here to the heavenly kingdom. Back to James. So then James illustrates his point this way, verse 15. Sorry, I just, that was exciting to me. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacks daily food, and one of you in the church says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat well, but you do not give them, you do not supply or furnish them what the body needs, what is enough to help them, then what, again, good or help is it? Again, James is saying, someone in your fellowship has a need. You have the ability to meet the need. Faith should be revealed, and you should in some way help your brother or sister who has a need. That's living by faith. It's not just thinking the right theology up here in our head, as we're going to see in a minute, and it's not even talking about faith. It is literally expressing it in action. And he good. Verse 17, so also faith, if it does not have works, is dead. It is lifeless. A dead person is unresponsive to stimuli. And James is simply saying a Christian that is not expressing their faith has become unresponsive to God's stimulus in their life that God is giving them faith. He is giving them their gift of faith. He is revealing himself, but they are not responding in kind. They're just lifeless. And James says, that's not why God gives us faith. God gives us his gift of faith so that we can do something with it, so that we can act upon it, so that we can live a certain way, especially in declaring who God is and what we believe God to be and to be a witness to others. We, by our faith, are to live our life as a Christian out loud so that others see our faith. I grew up early on as a child in a church that was teaching people that faith is a very personal thing and that faith isn't something that, that should be, you know, public. And the more I knew my God and the more I read my Bible, I thought, well, that's not true. Yes, faith is personal, but it, it must not stay there. Others must see it. Others must see that we trust God, that we rely upon him, that we're depending upon him, that we have confidence in him. That's how you and I mutually encourage others as Christians. That's how we witness to unbelievers that our God is real, that he's alive, that he's a God of miracles, that he's still moving, that he's still working, that he's willing to provide and protect for me. By the way you and I live our lives, they see we're living by faith. That's why God says, without faith, it's impossible to please me. 
James says in verse 18, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. In other words, they can be separate. James all along is going to say, faith and works is inseparable. They complement each other. Show me your faith without works? No, no, no. I will show you my faith by my works. I will demonstrate my faith. I will illustrate my faith. Why? Because faith is to be a declaration and a witness. Here's a question all of us could ask ourselves by way of sort of application tonight. What is it right now that I could be doing or continue to do in my life to declare my faith in God, to be a witness to others that I trust God, that I have confidence in God, that I believe God will provide for my needs, that he will protect me, that he will preserve me. What is it that I could be doing right now to show others my faith? And then verse 19. James says, dynamic faith is when it's responded to and revealed. And James is telling us, don't get caught in the trap of dead faith or demonic faith, if you will. Because he says, you believe, verse 19, that God is one well and good. Even the demons believe that and tremble with fear. Literally, shiver and shake. So now think about now, I don't want to spend too much time here. No one has a better theology than the demons. In fact, they probably have a better theology, if you will, an understanding of God, of their own destiny, of God's purpose and plan, than maybe many of God's followers down through history. But it's just here. It, it's just a mental ascent. It's, it's just mentally affirming. Yeah, that's, that's who I know God to be. I know God is the Lord. And I know one day we're going to be chained into everlasting darkness. That's why they shake and shiver with fear. They, they know God's more. They know all the right answers. But they're not responding positively to what they know. It's just an intellectual thing. Or as James even says earlier, it's a dead thing. It's just a lifeless thing. And that's where you and I as Christians have to be careful because so often in some Christian circles, we're all about making sure that we've got the right theology, which is very important. Doctrine is important. Don't get me wrong. But we can never separate the application of what we're learning and, and what and how we're growing, and that God always wants us to live out our trust, our confidence, our belief in a positive way as he reveals himself to us. The demons do not do that. They can, get, they can score 100% on a Bible quiz. But that's not faith. Biblical and notice something else. Their understanding, their theology causes an emotional reaction. There's nothing more emotional than trembling with fear. So again, we've got to make sure too that, yes, God made us to be emotional. 
And he wants us to express emotions, but those emotions should be fueled and driven by our faith in him, not our fear of him, like the demons. Should be properly expressed emotions, not improperly expressed emotions. So James goes on in verse 20 to say, would you like evidence, you empty fellow, that faith without works is useless? Whether he's talking to, thinking about somebody that he's putting a face with a name that he knows or just for the sake of argument, James is saying, I, I'm, I'm talking about a person who boasts that they have faith in their possession and yet there's no fruit there. That's an empty fellow. Someone who's always talking about faith, but it's like James said earlier, show me, show me your faith, demonstrate it, live it out, express it, reveal it in some way. Don't just talk about it, do it. And then he uses two examples. And these two examples couldn't be further apart. He covers a lot of bases with just these two examples. One is a Jew, one is a Gentile. One is a man, one is a woman. One comes from a pretty good background, one comes from a not-so-good background. And even though Abraham was as much a sinner as anybody and needed a Savior, James definitely emphasizes the fact that, yeah, Rahab was a former prostitute. Now, I want to say this at that point. I think the reason why James reminds us that Rahab was a prostitute in verse 25 is James wants to make it clear that God does not dwell on what we have been or done, but what we can be when we live by faith. And that's Rahab. So let's go back up, though, for just a moment to Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works, approved by God, you could say, by his actions and his deeds when he offered up Isaac on the altar? Now again, James is not contradicting Paul here. He is simply saying Abraham's faith was demonstrated when he offered up Isaac. He wasn't saved by his works, but his faith was proven by his works. His genuine faith was evidenced by his willingness to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. And then he says, you see, verse 22, that his faith then was working together, literally partnering, cooperating with his works. Again, faith and works are not mutually exclusive. In fact, they're partners. They go together. In a healthy spiritual relationship, where there's faith, there's always works. They're always partnering. They're always complementing each other. And then not only that, but when you and I live by faith that works, we grow, we mature. Or as James says it at the end of verse 22, with his works and his faith, he was noticed perfected by works. It simply means... Again, when you and I respond to the gift of faith that God is giving to us and we reveal our faith and we live it out loud and we express it and we declare it and we witness, we grow as a Christian. We mature. 
We become all that God intended for us to be, growing increasingly stronger and stronger. Perfected here does not mean sinless. It simply means to perform as intended by God. This is the way God set it up. He would give us faith, we would respond to it and reveal it, and we would grow. And the more we worked it out, the more faith God would pour into our life, the more he would reveal to us, so the more that we could then express and act it out, and the more we would grow. And as long as God saw us responding, he was just going to keep pouring on the gift of faith. That's why as a pastor, I always want us as a church as a community of believers, to be in a place where we are continually responding to God. Because as God sees a group of people or individual Christians responding to him, he'll just keep giving us the gift of faith so that we can continue to increase and grow stronger and be strengthened in our faith. And the scripture, verse 23, was fulfilled or accomplished. It said, now Abraham believed, trusted, rested in God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Literally, God applied it to his account. Because like all of our accounts as human beings, we have a spiritual bank account before faith that is zero. We are spiritually bankrupt until we come to Christ. But once we place our faith in Christ, guess what? Cha-ching! God begins to apply our faith to our account and declares us righteous, not because of our own righteousness, but because we are resting in the righteousness of Christ. It'd be like physically, you know, you have a zero bank account. And some magnanimous person comes into your life and says, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deposit, you know, $10 million in there. I don't deserve that. Yeah, well, we didn't deserve what God gave us either, right? That's why we're saved by grace. But God deposited riches into our spiritual account so that we are no longer bankrupt and so that we not only can have a relationship with him, but so that we can live in him and live him out in our life by faith. Verse 24, James says again, you see that a person is justified then by works and not by faith alone. Justified again means to show or demonstrate that one is righteous. There is an indissoluble union between faith and works, James says in verse 24. And then verse 25, he says, like Abraham, similarly, her faith, Rahab, was conspicuous. That's an important word. Again, meaning evident discernible by others. And can I say this about Rahab? I can't wait to meet this gal in heaven because she deserves a lot of applause for this reason. There are many people in the hall of fame of faith, and right, rightfully so, should be there because they lived and responded to God in faith, but they had a lot of advantages, okay? Just like us. I mean, let's face it. Look at all the advantages you and I have as New Testament Christians. 
Rahab had none of that and yet responded in faith. So she is an example and, and sort of a slap in the face to people. Okay, if God just did more, if I just had more knowledge and, and if I just had more experiences and if I just saw God do more, I'd, I'd live more by faith. Rahab had none of that. She had no background, no experience. All she had was she heard about what had happened with the people of God and how they were just marching through the land and just conquering city after city by the power of God. She believed that. So that when the spies came, she says, hey, I believe your God's the real God. And because she was willing to hide the spies and send them out another way to protect them and get them back to Joshua and to the armies of Israel, when God came in to conquer Jericho, who was spared? Rahab and her family. Oh, by the way, 2 Timothy 4.18. She, by her faith, was preserved and protected by God because she trusted God. Even though her whole city was going to be destroyed, she trusted that God would make sure that her and her family got out safely. What faith Rahab had. Again, let me repeat this. Jesus made it clear throughout his earthly ministry that God does not dwell on what we have been or done, but what we can be when we live by faith. That's Rahab. That's Rahab. And I hope that many of you will be encouraged by that as well. Don't dwell on what maybe you've been or what you've done. Think about what you can be if you start living by faith. It will give you the edge that you and I need to navigate life and rise above our circumstances. And then James ends this great passage with these words again. Verse 26, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. It is lifeless. The aim of James in this passage is to establish that faith and works are inseparable. A genuine faith is an act of faith. Faith, again, isn't just something we receive. It is something that we respond to. It is something that we reveal to others. So again, I ask us the question of sort of application, at least one of them tonight right now, in our life, right now, all of us have some opportunity to respond to the faith, the gift of God that he's giving us as he's revealing himself to us so that we can respond to it and reveal it to others. To declare our faith in God, to witness God, I really do trust you. I really do believe in you. I really have confidence in you. I trust in your promises. All your promises are yes and amen. 
I do believe, like Paul, that you will deliver me from every evil deed and that you will keep me safe and that you will bring me securely into your heavenly kingdom. To you be the highest praise, the glory and glory forever. Amen. What is it right now, then, that God wants me to reveal? To respond to. How does God want my faith in Him to be conspicuous so that others can see it, so that it's evident, so that it's discernible? And I'll end with this. This is, this is so cool. God when he sees that we are living by faith, he will put us in positions where others can see our life. And he will choose the ways in which he will make us conspicuous. Sometimes it's in good things that happen to us, Sometimes it's in trials and tribulations. But God will choose the way, but God always wants to make those who live by faith conspicuous so that others can see. Sort of a, a light that is set up on a hill. And then here's the really cool thing. When God sees that we are faithful to live by faith, in the things that he chooses for us to live out loud and declare and witness to others, God will continue to make us more and more conspicuous so that more and more people can see. But don't miss the fact that the opposite of that is true as well. That when God sees Christians who are not living by faith, he will not put us in conspicuous places. He will actually continue to diminish the, in a sense, sphere of influence that we have so that others are not discouraged or even maybe damaged from our lack of faith in him. That's why you and I as Christians never have to worry about trying to exalt ourselves or climb up the ladder or seek a certain position, because if you and I are willing to live by faith, God will put us out there for others to see. I want our church to be like that. And I think it is in some ways already like that in our community. That God is saying, I want the Oasis Church to be out there conspicuous so that other people can see your light, your faith, your trust in me, and be drawn to me through you declaring your faith and witnessing your faith to others. If we ever needed Christians and churches to be conspicuous by their faith, it is in the days in which we live today. Let's be a people of faith. God, we thank you tonight for reminding us, God, about the power of, of faith. And God, I pray tonight 
that each of us and that we as a community of believers will respond to what you're doing and your revelation in our life. And that we will be willing to declare our faith out loud. That we will be willing to witness our faith to others and express it continually. God, we may not choose the path, the program, the the way in which you choose to make us conspicuous, to show our faith to others. But God, if we're living by faith, then no matter what you choose for us, God, we trust you in that. Declaring and agreeing with the Apostle Paul that you, Lord, are able to deliver us from every evil deed and to bring us safely into your heavenly kingdom. To you, God, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Folks, God bless you. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.